Welcome to the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health Podcast, where we talk about the clinical and practical issues that face those working in the mental health industry. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Barrier Breakdown. My name is Erin Molino Bailey. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Cognitive Behavior Institute, and my co-host, Dr. Kevin Caridad, who is the CEO and owner at Cognitive Behavior Institute. Uh, today, we are here to talk about how to cope with stress and anxiety with Dr. Mike Roncesvalli uh, out of Florida. He is a licensed clinical psychologist. He's an author, speaker, and founder of Live Well Behavioral Health. So thanks so much for being here with us, uh, doctor. And can you tell, our, tell yourself, tell our listeners uh, a little bit about yourself and your background? Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me on the podcast today. I'm always happy to talk about stress and uh, how we're all reacting to what amounts to an incredibly stressful moment in time for us as a culture. So thanks for thanks for the invite. I am a Florida boy. I've, I've been born and raised in Florida, lived here my whole life, uh, got educated up in Chicago at Wheaton College and have moved back to Florida maybe 15 years ago to start um, clinics in my in my hometown. So we're on the east coast of Florida and we have, oh my gosh, close to 25 clinicians, psychiatrists, uh, licensed mental health counselors, licensed clinical social workers, marriage and family therapists, um, nurse practitioners, everybody that works on a, on a multidisciplinary team to try to help people get better, get, get healthy and stay healthy ultimately is our goal. So. Um, I, I spend a lot of my time still working. I have an active clinical practice, um, so I love working with people uh, directly, and I also manage a, uh, a staff of folks that are doing everything they can to help people do the same thing, which is just live the life they've always wanted. So glad to be here today. Nice to meet you guys. Great. Yeah. So um, it sounds like you have a very robust practice and uh, a lot in with mental health. Can you kind of talk a little bit about, you know, as you mentioned, this is a very stressful time. There's a lot going on in the world and society just kind of coming out of COVID. And then, you know, even this time with back to school, there's a lot of, you know, stress and anxiety in general. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what your clients are seeing and dealing with as far as, you know, your patients at your practice or just a little bit about, you know, stress and, and coping in general? Sure. I mean, I, I'm sure you guys have had a similar experience in your clinics, but for us, I've been at this for 15 years and I've never seen another moment in time where so many people are so stressed. It's just incredible. Um, so we have people coming in the door that are, you know, burying that stress in alcohol, drugs, um, you name it, shopping addictions, um, pornography addictions. Uh, it, it, it seems like as a culture, we're looking for anything we can do to try to cope with the anxiety and stress that's going on inside of us. So we've seen an incredible uptick in the amount of people that are coming in. We've also seen, to my dismay personally, I mean, this has been probably, I think the hardest part of the pandemic for me, is to see the degree to which kids are struggling. And that's something that I don't think we saw here in Florida until the pandemic hit. But we have 
intensive outpatient programs that we run for uh, children and adolescents. And you know, we almost cannot con contain the amount of clients that we have coming in uh, at adolescents, especially junior high school kids that are just pan having panic attacks all day uh, at school. They're, they're not wanting to go to school. They're not wanting to interact with people face to face. It's just been a mess. And so I think the fever pitch of stress in our culture has trickled down into our kids and adolescents. And um, it's just, you know, it's worrisome for what's going to happen going forward. And unless folks like us can can begin to pool our resources and, and our ideas to help these kids get better. No, I'm with you. Since 2020, right, we've had a pandemic that's ongoing, right? And then you have monkeypox pop up. You have the political I would say uh, unrest a little bit, not not violence, but it's been disruptive here. And then you have uh, European wars that seem people worry about escalating. And then you have this economic pressures of inflation. You know, one of the things for anxiety we know is uncertainty. There is a whole lot of uncertainty, not having control and hopelessness because not nothing being defined out there. Uh, it's really changed things for a lot of people as well as kids and their social interactions during those key times of learning. You know, can you speak to that a little bit about maybe some of the non-clinicians that, uh, you know, how does the brain work a little bit and how does it get impacted by all this? And then maybe we can talk about, you know, how to recognize it and what to do about it. Yeah. So the brain is, is it's fascinating to me what happens when we experience chronic stress, especially. So we've got, we've got an amygdala in our brain and you guys have probably heard a lot about that. All, all of our your viewers and listeners, it's the size of an almond. And it is the seat of fight or flight, right? This is where anxiety and stress lives in the brain. And when we perceive a situation as stressful, that, that perception ultimately activates this amygdala. Now, the amygdala is next, it's very primitive, right? It's, it's next to the areas of the brain that control uh, uh, respiration, heart rate, sex drive. I mean, this is. This is a very primitive part of the brain. As that amygdala is activated, the frontal lobe goes dormant, right? Your prefrontal cortex just, it goes dark. <laughs> so your ability to think things through, understand contingencies, demonstrate judgment and reasoning. If I do this now, this will happen later. That all goes out the window and we're literally running scared. So we want that amygdala activation if we're under you know, real danger or threat. So if I, if I'm here in Florida and I'm swimming out at the beach and I see a shark, I want my amygdala very activated, right? Cause I want more energy. I want to be able to swim. I want to be able to do whatever I need to do to, to stay safe. But in a, when I'm sitting in my office, if I have that same amygdala activation day after day, week after week, month after month, it really does begin to just drain our resources our energy and on, on almost cellular levels, it keeps us from generating, uh, you know, the, the kind of health in our body uh, that, that we need to, to function. So over time, stress has a dramatic impact upon our ability to just stay healthy and be healthy. So I heard that the impact basically uh, result is whether regardless of age is this overwhelming uh, need for mental health care. But then the system is drained because now there's not enough providers, uh, you know. So, you know, what do people do? Uh, what are you doing to help people in a situation like this? So it's funny. Uh, the way we do treatment 
has really changed in the past few years. And I would say post-pandemic in, in particular, because what we're finding is there's more clients, patients available than we could ever serve, ever. So we've got 25 clinicians. That's a pretty big clinic. We've got several locations. Still no way we can handle the kind of volume that we have that are, that are calling in. So we're trying to be as creative as we can to be able to address the issues and, and, and try to meet the needs. So we're doing things like more intensive treatments, which work by the way, you know, so IOP intensive outpatient programming is relatively new when you look at, you know, the way the insurance companies are paying for it now and, and its appearance upon the scene in the, in the treatment culture. But man, I find it incredibly effective for people that are at that kind of that critical juncture where they're either going to get better or not. If you have IOP where you're going, you know, three times a week, three hours a, a time, that, that intensity almost serves as a jump start for people that helps them begin to build the skills, the cognitive behavioral coping skills, the mindfulness uh, training. We, we, we do tons of trauma-informed treatment. So we have EMDR and trauma groups that people are plugged into in our IOP programs. And we find that the intensity of that treatment helps. We also find that creative ways of connecting with people and embedding ourselves into their life helps, you know, so if someone comes to therapy once a week with one of my clinicians and they're doing some cognitive behavioral therapy, let's say they come, they feel really good when they leave and then they go back to life, right? When they go back to their regular life, the voice of the therapist in their head, all the CBT skills kind of go out the window, right? Because that it takes some frontal lobe activity to even execute a cognitive behavioral strategy. So the amygdalas hijack their brain, their frontal lobe is shut down and they just start doing the same things over and over and over again. Then they come back next week and they're trying to regroup and okay, I'm gonna do better this week. We find that if we can embed uh, peer support and, and coaches into that person's life that has contact you know, several times a week to just, con just confirm the strategies, this is not therapy, right? That coach is not doing therapy. Literally, all they're doing is, is, you know, helping the person execute the strategies and techniques that they're learning in therapy during the week. So those are a couple of the, the creative things that we're trying to do to address the need. Is that reimbursable by insurance? Yeah, so it, not so much. I mean, I think that I think that the peer support movement is moving that direction. Um, I don't think there's a good uh, payer solution for it right now. Honestly, that's that's something that we do cash out of pocket. Uh, with with clients, but you know, people are at a point now where I think they're willing to pay for the for the care that they get, and if it mm -hmm. costs them a little bit of money out of pocket, they're willing to do that if they get better. Gotcha. Absolutely. Yeah, we've seen a lot of that with the pandemic. Um, you know, telehealth is something that it has brought. I, I'm I'm not sure how much telehealth you guys are doing, but it has brought us patients from all over the state of Pennsylvania where we're licensed, which is, you know, a great way to kind of get even more resources connected to some of those rural or underserved areas. Um, are you guys doing, how much are you doing in person versus telehealth? So, you know, as you guys probably know, Florida was pretty open during the whole pandemic. So it was it may be different here than it was in some some other areas. Having said that, uh, we're doing a lot of telehealth. We have some practitioners that they just never come back to the office. <laughs> they they like yeah. it. Um, their patients are getting better. 
And I find that there's a kind of patient that actually does really well with telehealth. Um, you know, they're, they're digital natives. You know, they like the idea of uh, working with people using technology. They don't have a lot of time uh, in many cases to get yeah, to a therapist. Sure. Yeah. So um, I think it works. I thought they, obviously I think there's value to face-to-face -face interactions, of course. I mean, we all like that, but we've got, as clinicians, we've got to be able to respond to the felt need of our client. It's really not about what makes me comfortable as a therapist or as a psychologist. It's about how can I best help my client? If there's people that need telehealth, you know, our, our goal as a, as a clinic is to say, let's do that and let's meet them where they're at and help them move forward. One of the things we're hearing is walking that balance of clients' needs, but also uh, have you, I've heard from others, have you recognized any internally staff stressors that are experiencing it just like patients and how that's how that's changed how you've had to operate or interact with staff. Yeah. And I alluded to this earlier. I, I spend a lot of my time building my staff. That's, that's one of my major goals in life. Honestly, I feel like the folks that work for me, um, you know, they, they, that they're kind of, I've got to be good stewards of their willingness to catch the vision of live well. Um, so I want to speak into them as much as I possibly can. And I'll tell you, and I, Kevin, I'd really be interested in your thought, you know, as, as a clinic owner, but I find that the, the harder people struggle outside of our offices, the more we struggle as a team. It's really tough to metabolize the amount of trauma that people have been through and the degree to which they're depressed and anxious and the, 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 the degree to which they're kind of just compulsing about drugs or alcohol. So the worse it gets outside of our walls, the more time we try to spend together um, to just use use our, our team as a as a healing place and as a as a healthy place where people can just talk and be open and talk about because it, it, it's hard. I mean, it sucks, right? It, it, sometimes you're hearing stories that are just really difficult to kind of take in and metabolize. So um, I think it's I think it's tough. Have you guys seen like an uptick in your own stress internally? You know, what, what I could speak to, I think in general that preferences or you could say reconditioning and uh, going back to the old ways once you condition after a couple of years, uh, mm -hmm. like maybe in Pennsylvania, people being at home, masking, certain restrictions. I think with classic conditioning, we know behaviors can change. And I think that's what happens, some of it. And some of that becomes just normalized comfort. And then on top of the stress that there is, I think in general, what I'm observing, people are reevaluating how they balance or how they define balance. Uh, you know, how things are handled. Because like you, I think I, uh, I no longer see clients. I'm really balancing spending all the time, as much free time reaching out to my staff, maintaining the culture, because not everybody is coming in person. Some, uh, so it's like, how do you connect? So I think it's trying to be creative and connecting, which is the more challenging piece of what we're trying to do uh, to those that are, aren't in the office so that we can stay connected, right? Because we know uh, hopefully that'll be better because culture is much easier when you're all in person rather than virtual. And so- yeah. Being creative there is where we're spending a lot of time, deservingly so. Yeah, it's, and I'm glad you, you bring that up because it's easy to build culture if you are all in the same room and you're talking, you know, even if you, I think about one of our IOP treatment team meetings, you might have 10 clinicians sitting around a table talking about how we can best serve somebody. Just that process of connecting and hearing someone else's perspective and, you know, hearing their struggle with, that's encouraging to a clinician, right? Because you feel like I'm not alone. And 
but when you get someone that's at home and they're working virtually, how do you how do you kind of have that kind of connection that allows you to speak into their life and to and to encourage them and to let and to let them know that they're part they're a full fledged member of the team? It's it's difficult. It's a lot harder. No, yeah. I think it changes your role. Yeah, as leadership. Yeah, and absolutely. Even on the between the clinical and the and the administrative team, you know, that's one of the things that we really. Uh, we like to keep them tight and interconnected and, you know, we're all one kind of family as we, as we state, but, you know, when you're having uh, more communication, I'll say over email and less communication face-to-face, it definitely has a not so positive effect. And, you know, we, we've implemented lots of strategies, whether it's, you know, instead of an email, a live Zoom room with someone available so that, you know, the clinicians who may be working from home still feel like they can walk into the front office and, you know, and be assisted by our admin people. So it's really just about being creative, I think. Um, but we're always, you know, always interested to hear how other practices are doing that. And that's staff driven, right? So we, we, we do a yearly group. Uh, we used to do individuals group last year, getting feedback. And so the staff is, you know, us as a whole smarter. So that like an idea like that came from feedback. This is what we need. How can we be creative? And then we implement it. And so, yeah. you know, your staff being heard with ideas, whether you can problem solve an app, but at least understanding that head think has been helpful to be intentional about that. That's really cool. So you guys actually have someone that is an admin person in the office who's for eight hours on Zoom. And anyone from home, if they need the admin is an admin staff, they just click on the link and they pop into the Zoom room. It's just like walking in the front door. What a great idea. I like it. Maybe we need to do that at Live. (laughs) (laughs) It really has been, I mean, it, it has, you have that feeling of, you know, walking out of your office or, you know, whether it's at home or down the hall, you know, just that feeling of connection because of the, sometimes the delay or even just seeing someone's smiling face. I know we were, we were all kind of in the admin room and the more people that pop in, it feels more, you know, personable. And it's like, you know, nostalgic like it used to be. Yeah. Nostalgic. Exactly. And you don't realize how much you miss that until, you know, you're doing it again. And then you're like, this is so awesome. It's so good to see you, you know, versus <laughs> email. So just, it's just, just something we've been able to do that's been successful for us. I found too, during, during the pandemic, you know, when we were trying to communicate just as a staff, like on text threads or uh, email threads about, you know, what, what are we doing? When are we opening up? What, you know, it, it's so much harder to read tone and yeah. when you're it's on a team, right? Because yeah. you just, you, you're just trying to like get stuff out and I have to check myself all the time. Like, okay. Am I say, reading you know, into this? Yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> or like be like, be kind yeah. when you start, like start with like, hey, how you doing? Not just business, right. like let's go. Um, so you're 100% it's, uh, correct. Yeah. challenging. Absolutely. Yeah, we really missed that all like, you know, we with having pharmacy we have a lot of reps that come in and bring lunch and just even that popping in and out and you know hey how's it going or grabbing coffee or you know any of that stuff those are the the things that over time they are just so invaluable so we uh we are slowly getting back there but we do we do try to to figure out a way to incorporate some of that even to folks who plan on staying remote so it is, it is something at our forefront. Well, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, this was a wonderful conversation. And I, I know all of our listeners, uh, clinicians mostly will, you know, definitely appreciate this and all the information you've shared. So um, we hope to stay in touch with you and hope things continue to go well. And thank you so much for all the, all the work you're doing there in Florida. Yeah. Uh, people thank- want, okay. 
Well, I just say thank you so much for the opportunity to be, to be with you again. I, I think as much as we can, uh, as clinicians and other professionals in the field, connect and talk about best practices and, and how we're dealing with with our staff and with patients, the, the, better, the better we can all help each other. So thank you guys for what you're doing. If listeners want to reach out either to get care at your clinic in Florida or to hear more about uh, you speaking or, or, or some of your materials and your books, if you want to mention that before we head out, how can what, what's available and how can they find you? Yes, yeah, super, super easy. Um, the best website is livewellbehavioralhealth.com, livewellbehavioralhealth.com. And yeah, you can connect with us. Uh, we, we have therapists that can meet with you virtually if you're in Florida. Um, well, I have a, a book on stress that can tell you a lot more about uh, what we talked about at the front end of this interview called Stress Relief for Life. Um, we, have, we do have coaches and peer support folks that are available. Um, and also, you know, if, if there's clinicians that want to move to Florida and work for LiveWell, <laughs> we are always looking to hire. Um, that's something we didn't talk about today, but just the idea of, of finding folks that, that want to work and, and be in this field, we are, we're always open to those conversations. So thanks again, guys. I really appreciate it. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time. And uh, we hope to talk to you soon. And thank you so much for our listeners for tuning in for this week's episode. Uh, with Dr. Mike, we hope that you stay safe and healthy and we will see y'all next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health. Listeners can find all of our episodes on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. For more information and to learn about upcoming continuing education events, check out our website, cbicenterforeducation.com, our Facebook pages, Cognitive Behavior Institute and CBI Center for Education, as well as our Instagram at Cognitive Behavior Institute and our Twitter at CBI underscore Pittsburgh. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We hope you'll tune in for another guest next week.